American corn farmers, a proud and chosen profession inspired through generations. Tested, resilient, and committed to giving back as much as they're growing, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with every bushel, while replenishing every increasingly precious resource, like the reduction of soil loss by 40% with every acre grown. In a world where sustainability matters more than ever, we need all the help we can get. And there's no greater resource than the capable hands of American corn farmers. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Get ready, sports fans, because the Rao Report starts right now. Quincy Wheeler. Quincy Wheeler is a Cleveland Guardians fan and the co-host of a Lord of the Rings podcast, Seven Stars and Seven Siblings. Saw that one. That's pretty cool. But most importantly for today's conversation, the host of Guardian Fancast. Hey, Quincy, how you doing? Hey, Christian. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, hey, if you're uh, listening to this and you have to be a Lord of the Rings fan, that's great too. But yeah, we do a <laughs> do a daily podcast for the uh, Cleveland Guardians fans. And so I appreciate you asking me to come on. Absolutely. Yeah, that Cleveland Guardians fan case cast is a daily Cleveland Guardians podcast for the fans by the fans hosted by Quincy here. You can find him on Twitter at Guardian Fancast. And then, of course, Quincy's Twitter is at Quincy Wheeler one. Well, the Cleveland Guardians, this is a, you know, one of the, you could say, cool stories to talk about this offseason. Uh, I would say there's definitely ups and downs. Some people have some good thoughts about it, bad thoughts about it. You know, we're moving away from a controversial name of the Indians. With all the bad news roaring around with the lockout right now, some could see this as good news. It's really neat, regardless of how you see it, that we get a new team, new logo, new gear. What's your thoughts about the Cleveland Guardians being the name, the Guardians. Yeah, well, and obviously there's been a lot of conversation about it in our area among fans, and people love it, people hate it, people are kind of middling about it. And in fact, I think of all the names that were kind of bandied about the most, Guardians was probably the one that engendered the most people kind of in the middle saying, ah, I can take it or leave it, which makes me think that's kind of why they went that direction. I'm happy with it. You know, personal preference wise, I like names that are like uh, focused on animals. I just think that's kind of a safe way to go, but also fun. But Guardians, I think, gives you a lot of potential to do different things, to connect to different franchises. And and you can bring in some, uh, of course, they're using the traffic statues that are outside the stadium as kind of a, a focal point. But there's a lot of different focal points you can bring in there. So I think name wise, that it's a solid choice, and it, of course, kind of sounds like the previous name, so that's something that will make it easier for people to head over to saying uh, go, go Guardians instead of Go Indians, and I think that all makes sense. I think people that are upset about it, really the only solution for it is to win ball games. You know, I, I wish that the team would be a little bit more out in front of it and like leaning into it and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. It's exciting. Get excited about it and like retweet all the Christmas presents that people got this year that were Cleveland Guardians themed. And I didn't see them doing that at all. 
Um, I hope that they can do that kind of stuff in the future, but it feels right now they're just trying not to tick people off and uh, and then kind of waiting for the team to draw people in. If the team wins, people will move on with their lives. Some people won't, but you know most people move on with their lives. So I agree. Yeah, I think that's exactly that's perfect. I would have loved to see that too. It looked like you saw that with Washington on the NFL side, really you know anticipating the Commanders. You didn't see that so much yeah. with the Guardians, with the exception of you know having Tom Hanks in the <laughs> in yeah. the um, the intro of actually introducing the video. They didn't really make a big deal out of the name change compared to other name changes we've seen across sports. But unfortunately, we're going to see the Guardians for the first time ever in 2022, not as a full season. We've already been told that we are going to be without 162. We're looking at, as of right now, best case scenario, 156-ish, uh, if, if at best case scenario, which is disheartening by all means. Um, I guess you could put an asterisk and something to keep in mind that the first ever season of the Guardians is something to look back at the, at the lockout. You'll never forget when the Guardians became the Guardians now, that's for sure. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, this the lockout, we're finally, you know, Thursday Thursday morning, we finally get them back in New York. We're, I'm sure we're going to see some slow negotiations here over the entire weekend. Hopefully it rolls into Monday. If we have a deal by the, the, the beginning of the week, let's be hopeful. I'm not after what happened this last week. But your thoughts about the entire lockout. I know I was listening to your podcast that you just posted over on Guardians FanCast doing a fact check about Manfred. Uh, so definitely go check that out if you want to hear more about the lockout over on his podcast at Guardian FanCast. But what is your thoughts overall about this lockout? This could have been avoided, right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it could have been avoided. Uh, and yeah, I know there's just we just uh, don't have anything else to talk about. So it's kind of like you got to come back to the lockout. I, for me, I mean, as a lot of writers have pointed out, there's not an issue that's a make or break issue for anybody. Uh, they basically agree on principles of what needs to happen, just not the numbers of it. Um, so it's it's one of those things. It's like they could definitely get a deal done if they just sat down and negotiated and went back and forth and found a middle ground. But you have people mainly the vast majority on the owner's side who are not willing to come to that middle point and just want to try to see if they can break the union and leverage losing games and losing salary figures into getting the players to capitulate to what they want. It really seems to me, I think when it comes down to it, that it's going to be the, com it's the, right now it's the competitive balance tax uh, that if the players would back down on that, that it might be able to get done if the owners would just say, hey, we'll grow it a little bit to go along with what's projected to be the growth of revenues in the game, it would get done. Uh, for me, I mean, the key is, for me, I'm thinking about it, the player's last proposal was an absolute win for the owners. It would not have been, I mean, it was, it was totally a win for them. Uh, so they weren't willing to go with that, but the players were still willing to negotiate. It was the owners who said, well, five o'clock, we're done, we're going to give you our last best offer and it's the owners who have initiated the lockout it's the owners who have said hey you can't play right now until we get this solved instead of you know saying okay let's play under the old cba until we can get this solved and negotiate and they don't want to do that because then the players would have the leverage of being able to strike if things go south and uh you know you'd see the owners get a deal done if that was the case if that was over i think the players would play and would go forward because the players would want to make their salaries they wouldn't go to a strike unless they absolutely had to that's what they did in 1994 they only went to a strike because the owners were going to try to do something that turned out to be illegal later on, later on. But the players the owners don't want to give the players that opportunity because then the players would have more leverage so i i'm with you 
that I'd like to be optimistic. I, I'd like to believe that owners want to start the season by April 15th, like Jackie Robinson Day. You know, wouldn't that be great? You know, you can kind of gain some of that PR that you lost. And if not, at least by the beginning of May, when the weather is nice all over the country or nicer, probably not in Milwaukee and Cleveland. May is not always great. But, um, the, uh, but generally, you know, uh, and so I have hope that they're going to get this done here pretty soon. And I honestly, if they did this weekend, they could probably still start the season on time, really, uh, even though they've said that they've canceled games. But uh, who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know what to believe. I can't see long term them taking back their decision. So I think we are screwed out of those two series. But uh, I'm hopeful for uh, an April 15th Jackie Robinson Day start. I'm trying to be optimistic just like you you know if we look at the first two series technically april 7th would be the opening day but i don't think that they would find the way to make that happen if you took the two series out of it i think we are looking more towards a may 1st start and it, it, it hurts me to say that my birthday is in april baseball should happen in april there should <laughs> always be a baseball game for major league baseball on my birthday so yeah i agree always should be that way well let's look at what the cleveland indians were before they became the Guardians. Let's take a step back into 2021. Let's close out the Indians on this podcast and let's talk about how they ended. 80 and 82, just under 500. They were second to AL Central, just missed the playoffs. It was a, a pretty interesting season. You had some really nice pitching. You had some, definitely some questions throughout the, um, you know, throughout the lineup. You had some fun, some fun players, you know, Reyes hitting 30 home runs, so over 30 home runs. Ramirez doing really great. Your thoughts in general, though, about how the the Indians looked in 2021? Yeah, you you described pretty well some of the the main events that kind of happened during the season. They hung around contention for a while, and uh, really, it was it was injuries that kind of derailed the season as far as contention went. But to go along with that. The team did not have nearly enough depth to sustain the usual injuries, let alone a couple catastrophic, like taking out big players for big portions of the season injuries. So that's really, you know, on the team planning uh, more so than like bad luck. Uh, you know, Reyes, you mentioned he ha he actually had an exceptional start to the year and really looked like he had kind of figured things out and then got hurt, and after that, he kind of started fishing for balls again. Like, his main issue is just don't swing at so many bad pitches, and then the guy's going to hit, you know, 40 homers and walk enough to, you know, make him a pretty valuable player at DH. And uh, so that's the main thing for him, but you kind of saw that last year. Shane Bieber being out for the majority of the year was a huge blow uh, as he kind of had a lot of young pitchers that he had to bring up. But, you know, in the middle of that, we saw Cal Quantrill really, you know, turn it on and become the next uh, arm that the Indians were looking for to make things work. And makes you wonder why they didn't start him in the rotation towards the beginning of the year. Like people were a lot of people were looking at the stats saying, hey, this looks like peripherally speaking, he might be a guy you could use as a starter. But we didn't really see that take hold until July. And then, uh, you know, Aaron Savale got hurt. He's one of our better guys uh, pitching-wise. And Zach Plesak uh, hurt his thumb doing something stupid, and he didn't really seem to figure it out. So that those pitching injuries really kind of sunk the season as far as things go. And that's not even to mention the fact that the team had barely any production from their outfield at all. The outfield was just horrific until they traded for Miles Straw, which was a great trade. They traded... Uh, a good reliever for what looks like to be an everyday center fielder. 
is one of the top three defensive center fielders in baseball. So really, I think the the highlights of last year were probably the emergence of Cal Quantrill, trading for Miles Straw, and Jose Ramirez being the perennial MVP candidate that he, he always is. Uh, so, you know, it turned out to be kind of a middling season uh, due to the injuries, due to the lack of death, due to the fact that they were willing to look at corner outfield spot and say, hey, uh, let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know, rather than actually getting a, a player who could hit in the middle of the order. So that's that's kind of my wrap up for the, the 2021 season. Looking at since we had a full season finally after the, the Francisco Lindor trade, how do you think, you know, after looking at a full 162 without him, your thoughts on how that trade so far has panned out? It's uh, it's been fine, I think, for both sides. You know, Lindor obviously had a very difficult start to his time in New York. I, I suspect that he'll figure things out and and still be a, a pretty solid player, probably like a maybe a three to four win guy instead of a six to seven win guy, uh, as he was sometimes in Cleveland. That's what kind of looks like. He could very well figure out how to get back to where he was, but it looks like he needs some swing changes. Uh, still an exceptional defensive player and obviously a kind of face of the franchise kind of guy. So that's hard to replace. And I wanted them to find a way to keep him. But I also understood that at some point, like if, if he wanted to test the free agent market, Cleveland wasn't going to offer what it was going to take to take him off the market. And then once he got on, they weren't going to offer what it took to compete with that. So I understood that from his perspective, understood that from the team's perspective. I appreciate that they kept him as long as they did. Same way with Jose Ramirez. If he's not going to sign with the team and they keep him until the end or they let him walk or they trade him with a year left, I understand how it works in a small market. And there, you know, I feel like at some point you got to take the risk and extend a player like that and say, hey, this guy's going to be here. And uh, you got you fans can trust that. But I understand how it works. So with that said, what they got in uh, return, of course, Ahmed Rosario had a great year. Uh, you know, it's it maybe it looks a little bit better than it was because he had a, a fairly high batting average. He can get the ball to the bat, but he, he uh, also never walks really and, you know, doesn't really hit for power. So um, and the thing that mostly stands out about Ahmed Rosario is that he is not a good shortstop. Wow, he's not a good shortstop. He does not make the plays he should at short. So I, I'd rather than move him off a second. But he definitely is the kind of player that is a valuable everyday player. And especially at second base, I'd love to see him at second base. I think that'd be a great player. And you can even uh, justify hitting him towards the top of your lineup. Andre Jimenez was another player they got back shortstop. I'm excited about him. He had a really rough start to the year, but he had a strong end to the year. He, on the other hand, is an exceptional defensive shortstop. Just a joy to watch out there. Team's chock full of shortstop prospects, but I'm hoping Jimenez gets a good run this next year. So I think overall, you know, and, and they had a couple of other guys, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green in the minors, who had, you know, kind of a so-so and a pretty good season. Uh, so overall, I think the team did well uh, for themselves when they decided to trade Lindor. Obviously, in hindsight, I think they would have traded them before 2020, but nobody knew what was going to happen in 2020. Um, right. So, uh, so it it all, you know, I think it all worked out pretty well for them in the end. With the addition of someone like you said, Miles Straw, as he brought in last season in a trade, as you also referred to just a moment ago, there were some. Uh, glaring issues with the outfield. That's been something that's been kind of on the narrative for the past couple seasons in Cleveland. Uh, it still looks like there are some issues that still need to be addressed. Would you consider that still the key thing to look at in 2022 when free agency finally comes back? 
Yeah, I would put it either 1A or 1B. I, I For me, I would probably put 1A being fi- finding a catcher uh, because they have an amazing defensive catcher. Austin Hedges is probably the best defensive catcher in baseball, but he is a terrible hitter. He had a 40 WRC plus, which is like it's it's just slightly better than pitcher level. Uh, the thing about him is that he can – uh, he can hit a home run now and then, which makes up for like two straight weeks of striking out all the time. So, <laughs> so it, slightly enough for him to be able to be playable. So I, I really wish that the team would find a catcher that you can hit on a daily basis and have hedges more of a backup part-time role. Um, that would be my number one priority. But second play, second to that would be to find a middle of the order bat who can play in a corner and they could probably do it and put that player if they could find one at first base or they could do it at one of the corner outfield spots, but they have to find a middle of the order bat and corner outfield spots are really um, the spots that are the most glaring needs right now. So just to mention that, I would say that the team looks like they have a player who's going to be the kind of guy you can play on a consistent basis since Stephen Kwan. He's been rising. He's been all over the prospect list in this past season. They added him to the 40 man. He has always been an incredible bat-to-ball guy. He has the lowest strikeout rate in all the minors. And this year, this past year, he added power to the mix. So he he slugged 500 in the uh, in the uh, AAA level. And so he looks like the kind of guy. He's not going to do that in the majors, but he looks like the kind of guy that you can put in one of your corner spots. He also is a good enough player to be a defensive center fielder. So you can put him and Straw him in a corner spot, strong in center, and then he could probably play even somebody like Framil Reyes out there on a fairly consistent basis and say, okay, we're going to be all right defensively because we got a couple guys that can cover a lot of ground. We can have a guy who doesn't cover as much ground. So I mentioned that to say it gives you the option of trying to upgrade your bat in the uh, first base or even DH, you know, part-time DH with the Reyes area. So they have some options there, just need a middle-of-the-order bat. Yeah, you brought up first base, and Bobby Bradley kind of held that spot last year. There was a discussion in 2020 and 2021 that would be a position battle. It looked like he kind of took it over, but he's only at 16. He had 16 home runs, but he was just battling with that Mendoza line. I think he ended off at, what, 208? I think it's what I think I saw. (laughs) So there was something that I know he has a high strikeout percentage. It's something that they've always talked about with him. Uh, An an improvement with an addition at first base would be something that would be nice for the, the Guardians as well, I take it. Yeah, um, and and I I enjoy watching Bradley play. I mean, when he hits the ball, he hits it a mile, and that's fun. And he obviously has a great attitude about things, but it just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to lower the strikeout rate to where it needs to be. Like if he could keep it in the twenty-five to thirty range, he could probably be a lot more valuable player. But he's going to be it looks like more in the thirty-five to forty range, per, you know, striking out thirty-five to forty percent of the time, and that's just you just can't play that kind of player. Uh, on a consistent basis, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, projections-wise, it doesn't look like he's going to add too much at the first base. I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the season with him there. But uh, we also have Josh Naylor, who got hurt last year, had a terrible ankle injury. And he'll probably be back towards the middle of the season, which may be the beginning of the season, who knows. 
but I, I kind of wonder if they're looking at Josh Naylor to fill in there for Bradley at first, which I'd be a fan of. I, I think Naylor's still got a lot of potential to be a valuable major league player. Uh, but as you said, this is a spot where it, the options are out there. Like as you're looking at what possible middle of the order bats we can bring in, you could bring somebody at first base and make it work, you know, because you don't have the answer there right now. Josh Naylor, somebody who's played in the outfield, he could play some DH if need be. Uh, so you could bring somebody in at first base. Like obviously everybody out there is looking for a first baseman saying, oh, the athletics will trade us Matt Olson, you know, or uh, I, I love Josh Bell from Washington Nationals. He's, it'd be only be a one year deal, but uh, I think that'd be a great person for the Guardians to target to play first base. And he also can play some left field too, so. Yeah, that'd be a great addition. I didn't think about that. Washington is probably going to look to make some moves again now, especially since we just heard about possibility of Soto not signing his extension. That's a whole other conversation that I can't wait to have uh, once <laughs> yeah. we get the Nationals on. But yeah, absolutely. So we'll, when we get the first base conversation, when we decide what's going on, I'll have to see get you back on and have a discussion. Uh, let's rotate over and talk about these pitchers. Obviously, Shane Bieber absolutely lights out. Amazing. He's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Fantastic. And you talked mm-hmm. about the, the uprise of Cal Quantrill, uh, someone that I was uh, paying attention to a lot last year, hoping that it would have had some production value was Tristan McKenzie. I thought there was a lot of value there. There was definitely some ups and downs, at least in my viewpoint. I think that there was uh, it wasn't as exciting as I hoped he would be. Is that upside still there, though, for McKenzie? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. And and I I'm glad that you brought him up. He he is one of my favorite players to watch. Just, you know, physically speaking, he's just so different of how skinny and tall he is. Yeah, it's just <laughs> just really fun to watch him. And he's got an amazing, amazing personality as far as his demeanor on the mound and off, and off the mound and talking to players and uh, he he just he's just an incredible player and and young man. So I, I I'm really been rooting for him. And the thing you know his his whole season was a lot of highs and lows and the highs were incredible. I mean the guy almost threw a perfect game, uh, but then the lows were you know that start in early June where he was just walking every single person who came up to the plate and it just all spiraled on him real quick. And then he's just out of there and back in the minors. So that kind of thing would happen. And and the end of the season was kind of those, uh, a little bit of a microcosm of that, not quite as bad lows, but not quite as good highs. I know that one thing that I really look at is uh, the stats are showing that when Tristan McKenzie can have his fastball sitting at 93, or, or higher, but at least at 93, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's very, very hard to hit um, if he can keep that, that fastball at that point. And a lot of that probably relies on him kind of getting his strength back from being hurt over the past couple seasons because he's had a ton of injuries, hasn't been able to quite pitch uh, the amount of innings that he needs to. So I'm hopeful that having pitched as much as he did, if we can get the season started at some point, sure. that uh, he can kind of... Uh, build up that endurance and they can kind of work him in and and he can maybe uh, show that he can keep that fastball up there because if he can and then if he just relaxes and I feel like you know now it looks like he he knows that he belongs here and can handle it that he's the kind of guy that can be I mean he can be a number two starter I'm not saying that he will be but he's certainly got that potential to be the kind of guy that you put out there and you feel like he's going to give you you know six innings of one two run ball and that's uh, I mean, he'll be fun to watch if that's the case. So refer your just to clarify, you're saying that you think it's something more of a velocity, not a control issue of why we are seeing ups and downs, peaks and valleys with him. It, it is both, but 
notably, the stats are telling me that when he is able to keep the fastball up there, the other issues come along, which indicates to me indicates to me that the control issue is my fastball's not work not not as fast as it need to be, so I need to be perfect with my other pitches. Uh, and and with my location and my fastball, instead of being able to rely on, hey, these guys aren't going to be able to hit my fastball because I'm, you know, super tall. And I, when it when it comes in, 93 looks like 99 uh, or 90, 96 when it's coming in there because I'm so tall and my release point is so close to the plate uh, that, you know, I can afford to not worry as much about where the pitch is exactly. And guys are going to swing at it. Whereas when he doesn't quite have that velocity, he's trying to compensate in other ways and trying to be a little too perfect with it. Um, so I, I think what I saw last year is that the control is really more of a mental and compensation thing than it is a lack of ability to control. When his fastball's working where it needs to be, he's got the control that he needs to have. And when he throws a pitch outside the zone, if he's working off that good fastball, pitchers will, I mean, hitters will chase it. Very interesting. I like that. I like that take. It makes a lot of sense once you look back and think about how he was pitching. Looking at this starting rotation right now, as you think it would sit, it's crazy to see that they only won 80 games last year. Obviously, a lot of different things and different factors come into play, but you see Bieber, Savali, Plesek, Contrell, and then McKenzie. It's crazy to see that, to think that they only got 80 wins. Looking at it now, if we have hopes that they you know, all bring their their top game. Hopefully that McKenzie can do what we know that he can do. Can you see this team winning more than 80 games? Assume, like what the expectation, estimations, I should say. I know obviously we're not getting 162, but <laughs> with that kind of, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Expectation, right. Right. Yeah, I, I do think that, I do think that if the team is willing to do what it takes to upgrade a little bit offensively, that you'll be looking at an probably an 83 to 88 win team somewhere in there. Um, and, and it does rely on, on health, but this year should be a little bit better uh, because some of the pitchers that you would have expected to fill in for these guys that got hurt weren't quite ready last year. We're kind of working their way up, but now we have some guys that are getting closer to the majors. They made some trades to kind of shore things up a little bit with Peyton Battenfield from the Rays, Connor Pilkington from the White Sox, which was a huge, huge win to get him come over. Not that he's not that he's going to be a great pitcher, but he's the kind of guy that should be a solid four or five guy for you. And uh, and even at the, just before uh, things were you know, shut down, getting Tobias Myers from the Rays, who looks like he's at least going to be a solid relief pitcher, but also the kind of guy you can put in and give you some decent innings. And Cody Morris, who had an amazing year last year. So those guys who the team has seen come up are there and should be able to give you some solid starts if you end up losing a pitcher or losing a guy for a little while. I don't think that Zach Plesak is as bad as he was last year. Last year was a really bad year for him, uh, even accounting from even aside from stupid injuries. I think that uh, he he is not that bad. He's got the control and, and he'll figure it out. And he's also a great athlete as far as defensively goes. So yeah, I think I think if they can shore up the offense, as I mentioned, with a middle of the order bat and maybe making sure that catcher is in an automatic out that and also have some of their prospects come through for them in this coming year that they should be a playoff team and and they if everything breaks right they should be able to push the white Sox for the division 
I like that. That's what I was hoping. I was going to ask a question on that, but you beat me to it. We're here at Quincy Wheeler. He is the host of the Guardian Fancast. You can find him on Twitter at Quincy Wheeler One. Quincy, one more question before I let you go. You talked about Josh Bell being a possibility for a trade for first baseman. So you talked about some possibilities of maybe Guardians making some trades. When the lockout's over, we're going to have, uh, you know, the the stock market's going to be open for free agency. Pretty wide <laughs> yeah. open. Any names that you like that would just fit perfectly in this lineup that you can see the Guardians going after? Well, I will say that I expect the Guardians to make at least a couple trades because they added 11 guys to the 40-man who haven't had any major league experience. Uh, and their prospect system is is one of the best in baseball right now. So those guys that are on the verge of the majors, they they are pretty much – they're guaranteed to trade some of those guys uh, to get a player that they need to use right now in the majors. That's going to happen. So um, I, you know, I would love them to try to get Sean Murphy who's a catcher from Oakland. I'd love them to try to get him in a trade. I'd love them to take a look at Jesse Winker from the Reds. Um, But there, you know, there's a lot of different names. And I mentioned Josh Bell. There's a lot of different names out there that I'd love them to take a look at. If I was looking at free agency, everybody, who wants a free agent right now wants Michael Conforto because uh, they know that he's due for a bounce back. And he also is probably not going to absolutely break your bank to get, but the fact that every team pretty much would be interested in him makes me think he's probably going to be a little bit above the Cleveland guardians uh, price range that they're going to want to go. So I think you're looking probably more at somebody like Tommy Pham, uh, who might be a guy who you could sign for a year and, and give him some good spots in the order. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, if you think maybe he has one more good year left in him. Uh, these aren't names that absolutely thrill Guardians fans, but it's the kind of guy that you can say like, okay, we're taking, we're adding to the depth of our team. We're taking a corner spot that's probably with Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado a C minus or a C and we're making it a B minus or a B and that, you know, that's, that's good enough to add a couple wins to your team, which is what you're looking for. So, uh, so I, I think that's kind of where I would put it right now. Love the realistic viewpoint. You don't get that all the time for someone who's a fan of the, of the team, but I like the fact that you're actually being very realistic. I appreciate that. Believe me, 100%. Quincy, <laughs> once again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Is there anything you got coming up? Anything you'd like the listeners to know? Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Thanks for promoting the podcast. I, I, nothing in particular that I'll promote, except I'll say like the difference, uh, the difference that I try to do with my podcast is just try to do something short each day to just kind of encourage people and, and connect people in with the game, with the Guardians. Talk to people that are connected to other teams. We talked about trade proposals with other teams, uh, rep, uh, fans. And, uh, and I like to do continual interviews with Guardians fans. So if you'd like to hear about other people's Major League Baseball fan experience, we usually do regular interviews with folks and just try to think about the game in a different way. So hopefully we'll all have some fun things to talk about soon. And if not, we we'll are going to have to be real creative. So thank you very much for having me on, Christian. Absolutely. And again, you can find that podcast at the Cleveland Guardians Fancast. You can find it on all the places you listen to your podcast. If you want, if you're a Guardians fan, you want to get a hold of him, hit him up at Quincy at GuardiansFanCast.com. Get him an email. But yes, thank you, Quincy. I appreciate you coming on the show. And that's going to wrap it up for us here at The Route Report. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening. Tune in weekdays for more of the Row Report.
you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVIC coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your VIC card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVIC coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVIC and Harris Teeter fuel points. 